0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. A man knocked on the pearly gates, and Peter opened the door. And the man told him his name. And P- Peter began to film through the big book. And he said, I'm not finding anything here that would cause me to let you in. Have you done any good deeds in your life? The man thought for a moment. And he said, well, I was driving down the road and I saw a group of bikers assaulting a teenage girl and it infuriated me and I stopped and pulled over And I got out and I walked up to the leader and I said to him, you and your buddies need to leave her alone and go home or I'm going to teach you a lesson in pain. See, Peter said, wow, that's impressive. When did this happen? The man looked at his watch and said, about two minutes ago. (laughs) Well, that's a bad joke. Forgive me. It even is worse theology, because you and I know we don't get into heaven by doing good deeds, do we? We get into heaven by having a relationship with the Father through the Son. I thank Pastor Kurt for giving me a chance to stand before you today and talk about my favorite verse in the entire Bible. You don't need to open your Bible, because by the time you get there, it'll be over. Here it is, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 Today I want to break this down into five segments and talk about each and end with a story that I hope will wrap it all together. Well, this is a promise from God. But it's a conditional promise. Did you catch the condition? All things work together for good for those who love God. If you don't love God, the promise doesn't apply to you. But if you love God, all things work together for good. What does that mean that you and I love God? How does it play out in our day-to-day lives? Well, I think first of all, it means we attempt in our own fragile way to follow the teachings of God's Son. We do so courageously, boldly, but without perfection, for which God provides confession. Secondly, I think we attempt to represent him ways that would honor him and be pleasing to him. And then thirdly, I think we love God through our worship. Our word for worship comes from the old English word, worth worthship. It means to respond to something in a way that's appropriate to the worth you're giving to that item. Hypothetically, let's say next Sunday, Pastor Kurt and I decide to sing a duet in church. We could do that. Oh my. (laughs) And when we finished, you would clap politely Thanking us for our courage to do so, but we would all know that it really wasn't that good. But when Dawn and Billy sing a duet, you clap enthusiastically because they are professionally good. But let's say, next Sunday we have two special guests and they come out from the kitchen in time to sing a special duet. It's Andre Bocelli and it's Helene Fisher. And they sing a duet for us. And when they finish, we respond by standing to our feet with thunderous applause. Now, three offerings that receive differing responses based on the worth that we give to something. I've told you that when I was in Bakersfield as a pastor. We had a ministry there called God's Special People. And they were all adults on the spectrum somewhere. And they wrote the public transit system from around the city, and they came to our church for a Sunday school class. There were 25 or 30 of them. They would have a lesson, they would sing a song, they would talk about upcoming events. They were a family. And every few months, they would come up on the stage and sing a song at the contemporary service. And when they did so, I have to tell you, musically, they were horrible. They weren't together. They were off-key. Some sang way too loud. Some jumped up and down as they sang. But I would look out, and my adults would have tears running down their cheeks, not because of their musicality, but because of their sincerity. They sang as if they were uninhibited. They sang enthusiastically as if they believed what they were singing about and as if it were really, really important to them. And I would say, I wish we adults could worship with that same passion. Because how we worship demonstrates the worth we give to that which we offer the worship. The author of Hebrews says our worship should be with reverence and awe. The Bible says we should lift up holy hands. We should get on our knees in our heart. And when we offer our heartfelt worship to God, it demonstrates our love to God for what he has done for us. The condition to this promise, all things work together for good, it is for those who love God. That's number one. Number two, we see the parameters of this promise. They're right up front, they're direct, they're clear. It's all things that work together for good. Not just church things, not just big things, not just financial things, but all things work together for good. The Bible in the Old Testament, tells a cycle that repeats itself again and again. And in that cycle, we see God choosing a people, directing a people, and those people following him for a while and then turning away. And God raises up a prophet to call them back. And they follow God for a while and then they turn away again and God sends another prophet. But after 10 or 12 prophets, God gets fed up and he says, it's time for some punishment. So he sends the Assyrians to take them to exile as prisoners. And then they return and they follow God for a while. They've learned their lesson. But it doesn't last very long. They turn away again. And God then sends the Babylonians to take them into exile. And they return and they remember and follow God for a while. And then it repeats itself over and over. My point is, God is patient wooing his people back to himself until he gets to the point where he says it's now time for some punishment. And I say this because I want to talk about our country for just a second. How has our country done in following God the last year, the last decade, the last 50 years? Are we getting closer to following God or farther away? Is it time for some redirecting, some regrouping? Maybe even some punishment. God's the one in charge. He's working all things together for good. Point number three, God is a subject of this verse. It's God who works all things together. It's not us. God is working every day. He's active in our lives. He's active in our world. And he's working for our good. God works things for his good. God opens doors. He closes doors. His eye is always on the map. His hand is always on the thermostat because he's sovereign. He's in control. There's not a day or an hour or a minute where God is not in control. I remember being pastor in Bakersfield, California. And I started in 19... 19- 96 and was there for nine years. And it was a large downtown facility that had had glory days, but had since gone by the wayside. And the church facility was large, but the congregation had become small and older and grayer. And they weren't very healthy. And they needed help. And I was stupid enough to go. But God met me there. And he touched some of the things that we tried to do and he blessed them. And when good things happen at a church and momentum begins to build, Kurt knows what happens. Other watching churches try to contact and steal the pastor. They've tried to do it to him. They've tried to do it to me. I'm in Bakersfield and churches are sending me letters. Will you come interview for our position? We find it flattering and fun. I tuck them in my back pocket and thank God for the, uh, the nice gesture, but I keep going. That is until I got the letter from Bel Air. Now, I told my wife about it, and she said, well, you're not going to go talk to him, are you? I said, yes, this is Bel Air. If you don't know Bel Air, it's the place where they filmed The Prince of Bel Air. It's down next to Westwood, where UCLA is. It's where the celebrities live. It's on Mulholland Drive. My wife wasn't very impressed, but I was, so I set up an interview, and I went down, and I talked with them. I took the tour. I went in to worship anonymously, and you know who handed me my bulletin? Rayford Johnson. Well, he was a 1960 gold medalist in the decathlon. Had on his name tag Rayford Johnson. He looked at me. I looked at his name tag. I looked back at him. He knew exactly that. I knew who he was. As I sat there in the balcony looking out across the crowd, I see all these celebrities that I see on TV. I'm thinking, oh God, please. Well, it went so well, they said, we want to go to the second step in this process. I drive back to Bakersfield, tell my wife she just shakes her head. Well, things continue in Bakersfield for a while and I hear God speak in my voice a couple weeks later, speaks in my head. And he said, Bill, I sent you to Bakersfield and you're not done in Bakersfield. And I said, But God, this is Bel Air. God, did you notice the pay package is $250,000 and that's 20 years ago? It's Bel Air. God said, I sent you to Bakersfield and you're not done. I said, But if they ask me, I'm going. I don't recommend you talk to God like that. (laughs) So I'm waiting and I'm praying and in my head I can see myself standing up and preaching that prestigious pulpit, probably one of the top three west of the Mississippi. One of the others was Hollywood Press and they were chasing Kurt. We could have been neighbors once upon a time back there. Except for the fact as my head was in the clouds and my ego was out of control. I finally get a letter saying they chose someone else. Well, that let a little air out of the balloon. Brought me back down to earth. God reminded me, when I close a door, nobody can open it. When I open a door, no one can close it. God works all things together for good. He's the one behind the scenes pulling the levers. It's true for you. It's true for me. It's true when we realize it. It's true when we don't. God works all things together for good. Number four, he works things together for our good. The problem with that is you and I have a different definition of good than God. We see good as joyful, fun, rewarding, healthy, safe, exhilarating, and so on. God sees good as hearts being touched, softened, changed, people leaning into him, people drawing near to him, Heart's coming to him. Well, that's pretty far apart. After my divorce, I fled up to Iowa and I lived in an 8,000 square foot warehouse out in the woods for two years. And it was the worst time of my life. I was at the bottom of the pit. I had lost almost everything. My reputation, my self-esteem, my purpose, my livelihood, my finances, my possessions. And at the bottom of the pit, in great despair, I look for someone to blame and there wasn't anybody. I tried to become an alcoholic and I failed at that. I'm at the bottom of the pit and I said, God, I, I, I need help. I need help. You see where I am? You know what I need? I'm begging you. And for two years, I spent more time reading the Bible than all my previous life together. More time praying than ever. And God gradually began to heal me from the inside out. And he returned my fragile self-esteem and he put my heart back together. And he built me back up on the pillars of his word. He reminded me whose I was. that's more important than what I'm doing for a job and two years later I returned to Southwest Florida a different person when I returned to Southwest Florida the second time I was nicer and I was kinder gentler more thoughtful and more loving a better person all around and as I look back on those two years I could see that God used them for good even though at the time I was hating life. Sometimes God takes us through things to change us so that we're better when we come out on the other side. He works things together for our good. He wants to soften us and change us and draw them to himself and make us more like his son Jesus. The fifth thing I know about this verse is it's God who calls. The Bible is a repetitive story of a God who calls. He seeks out Abraham and chooses him. He calls out to Moses from the burning bush and says, come, I've got an assignment for you. He lifts up and uses David, even though he's an adulterer. Throughout the Bible, God calls. He chooses, he calls, and then he uses. Even in the New Testament, we see in John chapter 16, verse 15, I'm sorry, 15, 16, Jesus says to the disciples at the very end, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Friends, you and I are here today because God has called us. And in his own way, he has drawn us to himself. He doesn't force us to come. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. God draws us to himself. He reels us in. He sends the hounds of heaven to pursue us, to bring us into his family. He's the one who warms our hearts. He's the one who gives us the faith to believe. He's the one who receives us. It's God who calls. God works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In 1988, I was a pastor in the San Inez Valley, Solvang, California, over the mountains 25 miles from Santa Barbara. It was my first attempt to be in ministry. And I was the assistant pastor of a church that had about 500 worship on Sunday. Jeff Cotter was a senior pastor. I did junior high, senior high, college age. I assisted in worship, preached occasionally, did odds and ends. I had two girls who were seniors in my youth group in 1988 who had great voices. And I kept encouraging them to develop their gift and to use them for God. I finally, after great coercion, got them to sing a duet at a retreat up in the mountains when we were away for a ski weekend. And they received such support from their peers and encouragement, they felt a little better about themselves. We got back, and I said, okay, it's time to take the next step. I want the two of you to sing a duet in church. They said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. I said, I'm going to be praying that you will do that, that you will realize God's gifted you to bless others. Long story short, I finally got them before the church choir director who chose a song for them. And he was so impressed by their voices. He said, I not only want you to sing in church, we want you to do it on Easter. They said no, and I said, yes, they'll do it. On Easter, our church went from 500 in worship to 1,000. We went from three services to four. And I talked to their parents, and their parents agreed to help me make them do this. And so it's on the schedule. And every time they see me, they would say, I hate you. That's that's all right. But it was scheduled. And on Easter morning, I went and prayed with them before the first service because they were shaking in their boots. And they were really nervous, but they did a good job. At the second service, they weren't quite as nervous, they did a better job. At the third service, they're smiling, having fun, and they knocked it out of the ballpark. I went up, hugged him, congratulated him. I said, just one service to go. And it was at noon. But at 5 to 12, on Easter 1988, Pastor Jeff and I are in the church office with our robes. We just put them on. We're ready to go down for the last service. And he gets a phone call. And it's from someone who says, Would it be okay if the President of the United States comes to your worship service at noon? And he said, Yes, of course. And they said, well, can you start five minutes late? And we said, yes, of course. And so I go down to the kitchen where the two girls are waiting. And I said, come over here. And I put my arms around their shoulders because I wanted to hold them because I knew they were going to run. And I said, I don't want you to scream. You can't run. Just listen calmly. I have something important to say. I said, the President of the United States will be in worship in five minutes. And their eyes got this big, and he began to shake. And I said, you and God can do this. And I prayed for him. And they stopped trembling. And I said, now go out and sit in the front row on the other side and pray that God would be with you, that your gifts would be offered to him. Well, I walked around the front of the church and I got there just in time for the five bulletproof blazers to pull in. Tinted windows, of course. And the service, secret service men got out and formed a perimeter around the property. And if you arrived at church that morning at 12.06, you didn't get in. That was their security. No one knew they were coming, and nobody got in after they did. But we started five minutes late. Pastor Jeff and I are standing at the door, and President Reagan and his wife Nancy walk up and shake our hands, and we welcome them. And in this picture, you can see President Reagan's on the right, Pastor Jeff's in the center, and I'm on the left. It was 10, 20, 32 years ago. We walked two by two down the aisle. Pastor Jeff, President Reagan up front, his wife Nancy and myself behind. We ushered them to the front row. They sit in the front row. I go up and sit down, and I'd forgotten that I've got stuff I've got to do in front of the president. I'm worried about my two girls who are going to sing. And I get up there, and I'm shaking myself. I had to do a prayer. God, help me. Help me make this about you and not them. And as the service moved along, we got to the point where it was a time for the girls to sing. And I looked at them and I gave them a Praying for You sign and I winked at them and they smiled. And I have to say, when they got up and sang, they knocked it out of the ballpark. I was so dang proud of them, felt like a dad. When the service was over, President Reagan and his wife Nancy walk over and shake their hands and take pictures with them. And when the dust settles, they run over to me, they scream, and they give me a big hug. And they said, we've hated you for a month, but now we love you. Thank you for making us do this. They said it's been the highlight of our life. Friends, I don't know what's going to happen in 2021 any more than you do. But here's what I do know. For those who love God, all things in 2021 will work together for good for those who are called according to God's purpose. And that's a promise from your father above. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your promise to never leave us or forsake us, to guide us and be with us even in difficult times. We often, we admit, we often feel like the world's out of control, our country's out of control, our city's out of control. But it's an illusion. You're always on the throne, always working behind the scenes toward our good, and to accomplish your plan. Remind us this next year, lest we complain, and be a part of the negativity. That you're still in control you still love us and you're working all things together for our good may we never ever forget we pray in the name of jesus amen if you enjoyed today's podcast there are a few things you can do be sure to subscribe rate and review this podcast